If you have your Bibles this evening, and you would, uh, open them with me to 1 Kings chapter 5. 1 Kings chapter 5, and uh, we finished chapter 4 last week. And tonight I want to talk to you about accomplishing great things in the Lord. Accomplishing great things for the Lord. Now, tonight I want to say that I think so many times we, uh, we struggle with thinking that God could use us to do big things. We think, well, God, you could use me to kind of keep the wheels on, but Lord, I just don't know what I could do. And I think most of the time as Christians, either we don't care uh, because our lives are busy, let's be honest, our lives are hectic. Most of us, when we think about taking on more responsibility, immediately our thought goes to, I just can't do it. I don't have the time, the energy, the strength, the finances. I am all tapped out. Sometimes we think about that as church, as a church, and when God has blessed us and, and worked and moved, and then the idea of what comes next is sometimes overwhelming. Sometimes it's like drinking through a, a fire hose, and it's just the idea of overwhelming thoughts. I know in our own life, I think about the simple fact that this summer we had five kids playing softball or t-ball or baseball, but yet next summer there will be six. And I think, oh my, Lanta, you know, how is that even possible? But I think so many times we sell ourselves short that God wants to use us to do amazing things. And when we come to chapter 5, we see King Solomon is preparing to build the temple. And we know in the Old Testament, the temple is where the Lord's presence resided, and it is a major and special thing. But I want you to know that in the New Testament, the Bible talks about our bodies as being the temple of the Lord, where He resides. And so while building the physical structure in the Old Testament was extremely important, it was an extremely big deal, that when God works through you and I under the New Covenant, when the Spirit of God has taken residence up in us, it is a big deal. And where the Old Testament temple was a place where the Jewish people would come and they would worship and they would sacrifice and they would honor God, now God has inhabited you and I and He has sent us out to go into the highways, into the byways, and go to the widow and the orphan, and to go to the broken and the hurting. And so many times we look at that and say, well, that's not as big a deal as building a, a 90-foot building with a gold and cedar and all of these things. But yet, friends, you need to know something, that there is nothing more valuable, and there is no, nothing more precious than a soul. A soul is going to spend eternity somewhere, whether in the presence of the Lord or apart from Him. It's not something that we get a redo. Absent from the body is present with the Lord. Death and then the judgment. And you can read in the book of Revelation what it's going to be like for those that stand before the Lord on the great white throne judgment. And here depart from me, I never... New for you. So accomplishing great things in the Lord doesn't have to be a building. It, it doesn't even have to be something that the world looks at and says, well, that's an amazing thing. But I want you to know that if you are a child of God, that I believe God wants to accomplish great things for His glory using you. And you say, well, Jake, I didn't come tonight to be challenged to do more for God. Then you probably ought to just get up and leave, all right? Uh, because that's where it is tonight. 
Because King Solomon hears from the Lord and he puts this in action and we see it unfold. And these three things tonight that I want you to see, it doesn't matter what age you are, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are, it doesn't matter what you've lost, it doesn't matter what you've gained. Tonight you can say, this is what I want for my life. No matter how long God has given you, no matter how much money God's given you, no matter how many talents God has given you, today you can say, I want to be used by God and He can use you. And so tonight, if you would pray with me, and we're going to jump right in. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you are a God who is alive, who is active, who is working. Lord, I'm thankful that you are a God who still brings glory to yourself. Father, help us to believe that you have a purpose and plan for us. Lord, that you can do exceedingly and more mightily than we could ever comprehend. Father, help give us the energy, the strength, the encouragement that we need, Lord, to do what you'd have us to do. Lord, I know there are tired people. Lord, I know there are wore out people. Lord, I know there are people who have sacrificed so much. But tonight, Lord, we ask that you'd give us a fresh touch a fresh motivation, Lord, to serve you and to honor you all for your glory. And Lord, I just ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. If you're taking notes tonight, and I hope that you will, the first thing that you need to do if you are going to be used by God is you need to be willing to rejoice in the Lord's work. We must rejoice in the Lord's work. I know, and this is going to sound terrible, and this is going to sound unpastorly, or or this is going to sound ungodly, but there are days when I get up and I think I do not want to do what God has asked me to do today. There are visits I don't want to make. There are chewings I don't want to take. There are different difficult discussions I don't want to make. There are trips I don't want to drive. I just don't want to do what God has asked me and called me to do. I know you've never had that problem. I know, I know they say if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. I'm telling you, if you are a sinner saved by grace, there are days that you do not love what you do. And it's not always the fact that it's you. Sometimes it's outward focus. Sometimes it's outward situations. It's outward uh, influences. But I want you to know that if you're going to be used by the Lord to make a difference, to accomplish great things, we must rejoice in the Lord's work. You say, well, Jake, you can't rejoice in work, then you have been mistaken about what God has called us to do. God has called us to serve. God has called us to fight in the Lord's army. God has called us to do things for His kingdom. You say, Jake, I want a faith that sits. I want a faith that watches. I want a faith that enjoys. Friends, I want you to know that the Christian faith has been built on the sacrifice and the blood and the dedication of God's people for many generations as the Lord has called us to do things that from the world's perspective doesn't bring joy. And today when we look at King uh, King, uh, Solomon and his interaction with Hiram, the king of Tyre, I want you to see what we see from this in the terms of rejoicing. Starting in chapter 5 of verse 1 it says, Now Hiram, king of 
Tyre. This was a kingdom to the north of Israel. This is a kingdom that by all rights and uh, accounts could have been at war with Israel. It could have been one that was jealous of Israel. It could have been one that wanted to take away from what God was doing in Israel. But look what happens. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon because he heard that he had been anointed king in place of his father. For Hiram had always loved David. Then Solomon sent to Hiram, saying, And as you know, uh, there was no Fox News, CNN, MSNBC uh, in the days that Solomon and Hiram would have lived. So the fact that King David would have died would have taken some time to make its way to him. Right? Maybe there was spies or maybe there was uh, foreigners that were displaced. We don't know how the news gets to him, but we know that Hiram loved David. And tonight I want you to see this because as God begins to work in your life, you need to know that you cannot do everything alone. You cannot accomplish every task that God gives you Alone, And so tonight I want to encourage you to look at the people that God has brought into your life, not as a burden, but the potential to be a blessing to what God has asked you to do. Now that doesn't mean you look at people and mooch off of them. This is what I can get from them or this is what they can give me. But tonight I want to encourage you that God's people can do more together than they can Alone, There is more than we can accomplish working together than doing it on our own. And so he loved King David and he wanted his son to know that this relationship needed to stay good. He wanted it to stay good. And so Solomon responds to him with these words. Then Solomon sent to hear him saying, You know how my father David could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the wars which were fought against him on every side until the Lord put his foes under the soles of his feet. I think this is interesting because while Solomon could have wrote a big long letter about, yes, my dad was your friend and and you were my dad's friend and you guys accomplished much together and you had a great relationship together, he starts out by talking about what was most important to his father. And that was building the temple of God. Tonight I ask that if you were catching up with friends over a lost loved one, would that be what drove you to talk about the most? Their love for Jesus. If someone was talking about you at your passing, would they be talking about your love for Jesus, for your love for the things of God? But Solomon knew that this was what was important to his dad. And this was what was important to him. As a father, am I imparting that to my children, that whether I'm here or I'm in glory, that the Lord's work needs to go on? Am I imparting that as a pastor, whether I am here or the Lord takes me home, that the Lord's work is what is important? It's not me. It's not you. It's not who we are. It's what is God doing through us? Is the vision and purpose that God has given for your life, is it something that's going to outlive you or is it something that you have control of? Something that you are keeping your thumb on? Tonight, what is God trying to do that will outlast you? I think it's interesting because so many times we know that King 
David could not build the temple because of the blood on his hand. And many times people reference that, that he had been in too many wars or he had killed too many people. But what Solomon leads us to believe here is that the simple fact that you can't build a temple and fight off your enemies at the same time. It's best to do one thing for the Lord, to focus on that, and that was to establish the kingdom. Now that the kingdom was established, he says God had a new purpose for Israel, a new plan for Israel. And there are seasons during your life when God calls you to fight, when God calls you to stand, when my God might take you through the valleys and the difficulties and the challenges. But friends, I want you to know that that season might change. God might take you through a season of being the receiver to be the giver. God might take you through a season of difficulty to bring you to a season of peace. That doesn't mean that how you're serving God today is any less valuable than it used to be. Or it doesn't matter how much different it is with you raising your kids. You might be saying, we've got our kids raised, now we're enjoying our grandkids. That's important. It's not to be meant as a time off just to to do what you like. It is to realize that God has given you those grandchildren, that you are to influence and love them. Even though it's different than when you were their parent, it still is important. And so it goes on in verse 4 and says, But now the Lord my God has given me rest. That word for rest means peace on every side. There is neither adversary, adversary, nor evil occurrence or misfortune, wrong things being done. And behold, I propose to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. And the Lord spoke to my father David, saying, Your son whom I will set on your throne in your place, he shall build the house for my name. Now therefore command that they cut down cedars for me from Lebanon. This kingdom would have been on a very hilly area, a very wooded area, and so the timber timber that was needed for the temple came from this man's kingdom. It's no accident that as God laid on Solomon's heart to build the temple, there was something he could not do on his own. He could not grow trees to cut down. God brought someone into his life with the resources that he needed to accomplish the purpose that God had. Tonight you might be here saying, Jake, well, what does that mean for me? Tonight you might be able to go on a mission trip. Maybe your health is good. Maybe you have got everything you need to go and to serve, and you can go. Maybe tonight you're here and you're saying, Jake, I'm not leaving the country. I'm not getting on a plane. I'm not flying. I'm not drinking Mexican water. It's just not going to happen. But God has given you a bank account with a whole lot of zeros in it. There's not an accident that He has given you that account. It is to be used for His glory. You say, Jake, you shouldn't talk about money. I didn't give it to you. I didn't tell you how to spend it. I'm just telling you what God says about it. And if you don't like it, give it all away to someone else, All right. But that's what it says, right? You have no idea what God has blessed you with for what is coming next in your life and the lives of other people. I didn't think I'd get an amen out of that, but I'm right and I don't care. It goes on and says in verse 6, Now therefore command that they cut down cedars from me from Lebanon, and my servants will be your servants, and I will pay your wages for your servants according to whatever you say. For you know there is none among you as us has skill to cut timbers like the Sidonians. So it was when Hiram heard the words of Solomon that he rejoiced greatly. Don't miss that. And rejoiced greatly. 
Now you say, well, he's just happy because Solomon's going to foot the bill for all of his people cutting down these trees. That's not what it says. Why did he rejoice greatly? Well, it says in verse 7, Blessed be the Lord this day, for he has given David a wise son over his great people. He says, I'm celebrating because of what God is doing, of who God has raised up to lead this great nation. And tonight I want you to know something. As God has blessed you, as God has risen up people in your life, as God has risen up people in this church, as God has risen up people in your family, you need to celebrate. Today you can look around in the country that we are living in and there are churches that are falling because they have no leadership. There are businesses that are following, falling because they have no leadership. We have a state that is falling because we have no leadership. We have a nation that is collapsing because we have no leadership. We, have, we see family businesses that have been run from generations that a generation loses everything. Tonight, if God raises you up or raises someone up in your life to accomplish His purpose, don't take it for granted. Don't take for granted all of the young families that God has continued to send to this church. Don't continue to forget to thank God for all the older families that God has sent to this church or kept at this church. Why? Because you have a purpose. God has a plan for your life. And just like here I'm saying, I'm excited for what God's going to do. That ought to be your heart. God, what are you going to use me for? God, how am I going to be, be accomplishing your purposes and your plans for my life? Do you wake up thinking, I need to get to church because I need to see what God is going to use me for? I need to be up in the morning before my family gets up preparing myself because how is God going to use me in regards to my family? I need to get to work today because you never know how God is going to use me at work. And most of these are thinking, I didn't come to church that way, I didn't get up that way, and I didn't go to work that way. Well, friends, today is almost over, but tomorrow is a brand new day. If you really believe that God is going to take you home when He's done with you, then you better be excited for what He's going to use you for while you're here. I mean, it. think about that. We don't think about our lives that way, but that's what God does. That's how God is at work. And so when we see this passage of Scripture, tonight I want you to ask yourself the question, are you rejoicing in the Lord's work? You say, well, jerk, Jake, I can... Uh, jerk, yeah, that's probably what some of you are thinking too. Jake, I can rejoice in the Lord's work, but I don't uh, rejoice in regular work. Well, the Bible says that you are to work unto all things as you work unto the Lord. It don't matter if you are... a uh, a toilet bowl cleaner, it don't matter. If you are an underbotter basket weaver, it doesn't matter. If you work in a coal mine, it doesn't matter. If you work in a fast food restaurant, it doesn't matter. If you're a pastor, a farmer, when you go to work, you do not work for yourself. You do not work for the glory and honor of man. You work for the Lord. And it's probably the greatest thing that we struggle with as Christians, trying to turn that off when we go into our place of employment. I don't have to be kind. I don't have to be long-suffering. I don't have to be patient. These jerks have got what's coming to them. And friends, you are mistaken. God puts you there for a reason. In Psalm 103, starting in verses 1 through 5, the Bible says these words, Bless the Lord, O my soul, 
and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that the youth is renewed like the eagles. He's just talking about how good God is. And that's why I serve Him. That's why I live for Him. Because of how good He has been to me. You didn't like the first point tonight. You're really going to not like the next two. But not only do you have to rejoice in the Lord's work, you have to be willing to join in the Lord's work. God doesn't want cheerleader Christians God doesn't want us sitting back and saying, you go win people to Jesus. You go help build the kingdom. He wants us to join in what He is doing. Look here in verses 8 through 12. Then Hiram sent to Solomon saying, so he was rejoicing. Remember, he was rejoicing in what was going to go on. And now he says, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. It goes on in verse 8 and says, Then Hiram sent to Solomon, saying, I have considered the message which you sent me. Now don't miss this. This word for considered, we see it repeated other places in the Word of God. When Jesus said, count the cost. When Jesus said that no man who puts his hand upon the plows and yet turns back is fit for the kingdom. Friends, tonight you need to understand something. When you begin to serve the Lord, when you become a child of God, you need to understand that it is going to cost you something. You don't just get a, a get-out-of-hell-free card. I'm on my way to heaven. Now nothing matters. No, when God saves you, He saved you to accomplish the good works in your life that He has prepared beforehand. You say, Jake, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to be used by God. It does not work that way. When God saved you, when God brought you into the family, when God gave you a new nature, God gave you a purpose and a plan, and now He says it's time to join in the labor. Consider it. Consider what God might ask of you. What God might ask of me. I cannot even begin to, to sit and think about as God began to deal with my heart to preach, and then to teach, and then to pastor and then to pastor here and just that constant battle that I had with the Lord of I'll do anything but this and then he and the goalpost moved and it was Lord I'll do anything but this and then the goalpost moved and it's I'll do anything but this and 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 now I have to tell him God I'm still willing to do anything but this but that's how God works and God moves why because he saved you for a purpose but yet we have got into the mindset that God doesn't save us for a purpose. God doesn't have a plan. God doesn't have a mission. God is happy with me as I am. And friends, God will let you come as you are, but He never leaves you as you are. God wants to work in your heart. So Hiram says, I've considered what it's going to cost to cut down the trees, the labor it's going to take, the fact that you have to ship it down the river, the, the fact all this is going to go on. I have considered the message which you sent me, and I will do all you desire concerning the cedar and cypress logs. He says, whatever you need, I'm on board. 
Whatever God needs, I'm on board. And I can tell you this, this church would be so much different if just I would say, Lord, whatever you need, I'm all on board. Lord, I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to gripe. I'm not going to moan. I'm going to wake up every morning and say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. What would you have of me, Lord? You say, Jake, that's not how Christians live. Just because you're grieving the Spirit doesn't mean that's the right way to do it. This is how God wants us to live right here. He goes on and says, My servants shall bring them down from Lebanon to the sea. I will float them in rafts by the sea to the place you indicate to me and will have them broken apart there. Then you can take them away and you shall fulfill my desire by giving food for my household. So he says, you know, my kingdom is hilly. My kingdom is covered in lumber. What we need is food. And so if you'll send food, I'll send trees. Once again, we're seeing how God puts people together who have different needs and different resources and different supplies and different talents and different gifts to work for the glory of God. What amazes me about Hiram is he didn't just say, I'll get them to you when I get them to you. He says, I'm going to take pride in what God has asked me to do. He said, I'm going to get them down the river to the exact spot you want them. Did you notice that? It's kind of like this. You know what? I'm scheduled to work in the nursery this morning. I think I'll be here 15 minutes early. I never know when a new family might show up, a new family that's worried about leaving their kids in a strange place. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be on time. Hey, i got to work in the children's program tonight. I'm not showing up at the last minute, putting my shoes on, trying to figure out where I've been all afternoon. No, I'm going to be praying. I'm going to be seeking the Lord's face. I'm going to be there ready to serve God because He might use me to leave a child to the Lord. I'm going to prepare my heart before I come to worship. I'm going to spend time in prayer because God might speak to me tonight. I'm not just going to do it out of the leftover of my life. He says, no, I want to do it the way you want me to do, and I want to do it above and beyond. He goes on there, if you don't believe me, and says, I'll even have it broken apart. Why would he have it broken apart? Because that way it would be easier when Solomon's people got there to transport it. What he is saying is, I'm going to work and do everything you've asked. I'm going to do it to the best of the ability that God has given me to, and I'm going to do it as I would do it unto the Lord and not unto man. Friends, I don't know if you know this or not, but what most churches struggle with is not an excellence problem. We don't view things that God should be done in excellence. Now, I don't believe it should be a show. I don't believe it should be a performance. I don't believe it should be smoke and mirrors and all the nonsense that some churches do. But I'm telling you, when Jamie stands up here to sing, he better be thinking, I want to do the best I can do for the Lord. When I stand up here to preach, I've prayed and I've studied. I don't just show up one day and say, well, I wonder if I can print this sermon out on the Internet. They don't come like this on the Internet, all right? As one lady said, preacher, I know you don't preach on the Internet because I've heard a lot of sermons and ain't nobody on the Internet preach that bad. And that's true, okay. But you ought to be prepared. If you teach Sunday school, stop showing up at the last minute unprepared. You ought to be prepared and praying and seeking God's face, saying, I am ready to be used by God. I'm ready to excel in what the Lord has called me to do. I know it's not popular. I know it's not well received. But what we see tonight from this text is if you want to be used by God and if you want to accomplish things for the Lord, that's how you ought to approach it. 
that I'm serving the greatest king that's ever lived. I'm serving the greatest master that's ever put someone to work. I'm serving the only Savior that can take away my sins and my shame and my brokenness. And He deserves the best that I can offer Him. Even though the best I can offer Him is filthy rags. And that's how we view it. But friends, our service and our salvation are two different things. Our salvation, we come broken and pitiful and with nothing to offer. But what you offer God in service to Him, don't miss this before you stone me. He gave you that gift. I know. The Bible says that everyone has at least one spiritual gift and most of us have more. That wasn't your sin that gave you that. The Bible says that was a grace gift. That was a gift that God chose to give you and He didn't make a mistake. So when I use that gift, that's not a sin gift. That's a gift that comes from God. And so while I can come to God as I am, sinful, broken, hurting, all of the stuff that we know the Bible says that we are, when I come to serve Him, I serve Him with what He's given me. And friends, that's a whole different ballgame. I don't come sinful, broken. I come with something He has given me. And not only has He given me, the Bible says He prepared me to use it for His glory. God is not a God of chaos. God is not a God of of half-heartedness. He is a God of excellence and perfection and holiness. And while we can never be that, we ought to be using what God has given us for that. So it goes on in verses 10 through 12 and says, Then Hiram gave Solomon cedar and cypress logs according to all his desire. And Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household and 20 cores of pressed oil. Thus Solomon gave to Hiram year by year. So Solomon, though the Lord gave Solomon wisdom that he had promised, and there was peace between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a great treaty together. Ephesians 4, chapter, 20, uh, chapter 4, verse 28 says it like this in the New Testament. Ephesians 4, verse 28. Uh, if you're familiar with this passage of Scripture, it talks about how not to grieve the Holy Spirit. What that means is grieving the Holy Spirit is God is willing to work, He is able to work, He can work, and whatever sin in my life is hindering Him from working. That's what grieving the Holy Spirit means. It means quenching what God is doing. And right in the middle of that chapter, listen what it says in verse 28. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Friends, if you are not willing to work and to serve God and to honor God and are stealing and are thieving, you are grieving what God is trying to do in your life. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that we are to help those who are poor, who are those in need. But friends, never think that God blesses people who can work but don't work. And the church has got to quit believing the lie, just like it's the lie at the southern border, that if you believe that God wants to establish borders, that you are not a Christian. The Bible says that God establishes nations and borders, and they are to be obeyed and honored. But yet we are to be compassionate and merciful. And so tonight I ask you, are you rejoicing in the Lord's work? Are you willing to join in the Lord's work? And the third and final thing tonight is you and I have to be willing to put a plan in place to accomplish the Lord's work.
We have to be willing to put a plan in place to accomplish the Lord's work. What does that mean in church? (laughs) You know, at this point, what more can you do to me other than fire me? I hate business meetings. I don't understand why we have to have business meetings, why we have to go to business meetings, why do we have to participate in business meetings? You know why? Because there has to be a plan in place to accomplish what the Lord wants us to do. You say, well, I've said it, and I don't think much gets accomplished. That's on us, not the Lord. You say, well, Jake, I don't want to serve on any committees. Do you know how bad committees are? Yes. I will agree with you 100%. Yes. But that is how we believe God has given us a vision to accomplish what He would have us to accomplish in His local church. Oh, Jake. But that can't be biblical. Well, just look here with me in verses 13 through 18. Then King Solomon raised up a labor force. force. That's not right. A labor force out of all Israel, and the labor force was 30,000 men. And he sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month in shifts. So 10,000 would go one month in work, and the other two, two, uh, two groups would rest. And then another group would go and work for a month, 10,000, and the other two would rest. And then the next month, the third group would go and work, and the other two would rest. They were organized. They were structured. They had heard what God wanted them to accomplish, but yet God gave them to wisdom to accomplish His purpose. It goes on and says in verse 14, And He sent them to Lebanon 10,000 a month in shifts. They were one month in Lebanon and two months at home. Adonara was in charge of the labor force. They put someone in charge of the task that needed to be accomplished. See, Solomon didn't run the labor committee. Someone else did. Solomon didn't run who was in charge of going and coming or what days they were off or what days they were on. No, someone had that gift and used it for the Lord. Solomon had 70,000 who carried burdens and 80,000 who quarried stones in the mountains. So it wasn't just cedar. You had people taking the stone. You had people that were transporting the stone. You had people that were working in the cedar. All these different people were assigned different work to accomplish what the Lord wanted. You say, well, I'm a doer, Jake, not a leader. Well, you better not enjoy what comes next. Beside 3,300 from the chiefs of Solomon's deputies, These were the people who were over those people to make sure that the work got done, who supervised the people who labored in the work. And the king commanded them to quarry large stones, costly stones, and hewn stones to lay the foundation of the temple. So Solomon's builders, Hiram's builders, and the Gebelites quarried them, and they prepared timber and stones to build the temple. Now, what you're saying is, Jake, how does this translate to us? Well, I'm glad that you asked because I've been just a desire to share it with you. How do you think that the nursery gets assigned workers? We just put all your names in a hat. We just start picking them out. Right? We just put your names on a board and throw a dart. Now we have to pray about it. Well, they work good together and they work good together. Or, well, they can't work together because their kids used to be married and now they don't want to speak together. 
Or boy, they work together, but half the time they don't show up, so we better put them with the person that always shows up. Or we better put them on Sunday morning because they won't show up on Sunday night. We better put them in Sunday school because they don't want to miss, they don't want to be in Sunday school, but they don't mind to miss church. That's usually the backwards, right? They don't mind to miss church. They don't want to miss Sunday school. And so we can't put them there. And so it takes structure and planning and purpose. Something like building a wheelchair. We just show up one day and all the materials are there and the person's ready for us to build it and we just show up and build it. No. We call the homeowner. We call the the building company. We go and we measure it and we go and pray over the location and we send out messages to make sure that people are there to do the job as it's necessary. Friends, I want you to know something that so many of these things you see, well, that's not a God thing. That's not something that's important. It is. It is if you view it like what we see here in the text. The cedar cutters weren't very important until they needed cedar. The stone cutters weren't very important until they would have showed up for the foundation and there was no stone. The person leading in one of the supervisor groups wasn't very important until the people didn't deliver the stone on the day that it was supposed to. You see, friends, you and I have to get back to thinking that what God is doing is bigger than my little world. What God is trying to accomplish is amazing, it's special, it's wonderful. We see a little bit of that in the church today. We know that the Bible tells us there are two officers in the New Testament church, the elder and the deacon. And so our deacons are assigned 10 to 12 families apiece. They are to be praying for you. They are to be checking up on you. They are to be encouraging you. If there is a financial need, they need to be addressing that need. And you say, well, that's more than I knew they did. That's what they're supposed to be doing. If they're not, that's on them. It's my job to be praying and to preaching and to visiting you and caring for you. Why? That's what we're called to do. Your Sunday school teacher is supposed to be praying and preparing for their Sunday school lesson. They are to be praying and preparing for you as you come on Sunday that they can impart God's Word to you. The kids workers are working back there tonight. They work on Sunday morning. They work on Wednesday night. And and they should be praying and preparing and knowing that God has called them to do that, to serve, to honor Him. Because why? God is wanting to work. And friends, if you don't believe God is wanting to work, we might as well stay home. If you don't believe God wants to show up through the preaching of His Word, we might as well stay home. If you don't believe God wants to work and move through the singing and the worship of God, why are we here? What's the purpose of Wednesday night and Sunday night and Sunday morning and all that we do if we don't think that God is at work? See, friends, that's what God has had to remind me of here lately is, Jake, I'm at work. I'm doing things. I'm changing lives. I'm working even when you think it's an inconvenience. Because why? God loves broken people more than I could ever love broken people. God wants to see His name elevated more than I would ever want to see God's name elevated. God wants to work and move in the lives of people more than I could ever want God to do that. But tonight the question is, as a church, do we really want to be a part of what God is doing? I knew this was a really great sermon for the Super Bowl night. I knew that, right? Because you were here, committed, dedicated. You chose to be here, and I just threw you under the bus, didn't I? But I didn't write 1 Kings. I didn't pick us that we would be here tonight. But what I can tell you is this. 
if I'm going to spend my life serving the Lord, I don't want to look back at the end of my days and say, what was it for? I want to look back and say, look how God has worked. As a father, I don't want to be old and grouchy and miserable and look at my children and say, what was it all for? They all turned out to be heathens. They all act like their dad. No, I want to love them in such a way that the nurture and admonition of the Lord changes them, that God uses that. That's what I want. I want to be able to see my children's children, as Psalms 130 says, the blessed person sees their children's children. I ask you that question tonight. What you are doing, do you really believe that God could use you to make a difference? And if you believe that, are you willing to give God everything that you have for as long as he gives you? Now, some of you are thinking, well, Jake, this sounds like works-based salvation. Absolutely not. Solomon didn't deserve to be king. God blessed him. David didn't deserve to be king. God blessed him. And tonight, if you think that God has to have you, he will work without you. But friends, if you really love him and you really know what he's done for you and you really have experienced the life-changing power of Jesus, why would you not want him to use you? Why would I not want him to use me? I have never woke up on a Sunday morning and thought, you know what, if I can just get through this sermon, I just can't wait for no one to use the altar. You know, if I just keep it short and don't upset too many people, then I can get out of here and go eat. No, I always pray, Lord, I wish you'd save somebody. Lord, I pray that what I speak through your power and your authority changes someone's life. Someone was teasing me out in the lobby about I'm preaching tonight for amens like the Super Bowl. If I preached for amens here, I would have been gone a long time ago. <laughs> because that's not why. If you can't agree with what the preacher is saying, that's on you, not on me. It's my job to stand behind this desk, one, in prayer. Two, in repentance, making sure there's nothing in my heart grieving what God's wanting to do. And then to boldly preach the word of God with every bit of love, affection, mercy, and grace that God has given me and that I give to him and I can pour out to you. That's all I can do. The results are entirely up to him. But I want you to know something tonight. I believe God wants to do amazing things. I believe God wants to do amazing things through you, this congregation, this local church. God has blessed you in some of the most amazing ways. Simeons are some of the most talented people I have ever seen. Simeons are some most loving, forgiving, compassionate people I have ever seen. I have made more mistakes as a pastor than almost any pastor I have ever met, and you have been merciful to me. Forgiving. I know some of you keep it under the surface really well, but you cannot begin to imagine the ways that you have loved me and helped me. And I think about that every time a young family comes in here, even if the husband doesn't want to be here like I didn't want to be here. I thought, God, if you can get them around these people long enough, they can love them in such a way that they'll like it, that they'll like it. And friends, that's my prayer. I think about my own children and the fact that they love coming here. It's the only church they've ever known. They've never been anywhere else. 
except a few revivals, and they're usually saying, that was so boring, can we go back? It's been so good, and I believe God can do that for other families. Some of have been here for years and have relationships and friendships that have lasted decades, and I believe God can do that for other people who are lonely and hurting and missing something. And so many of you here tonight, if not almost all of you, could say, Jesus has forever changed me. I'm a child of his. And friends, I believe that can still happen. When God sends us the sinner, when God sends us the struggling, that he can forever change them and we can be a part of it. The question is, do we want to be? Are we willing to be? And are we willing to put in the effort to do what God's asked us to do? Father, I thank you so much for your word. And Lord, it's your word, not mine. Lord, I pray tonight that you'd forgive me of any stupidity or silliness that I have put into it. But Lord, thank you for giving us your word verse by verse, word by word, line by line. Lord, help us to have a burden to be used by you to reach our families, our friends, our community. Lord, help us never forget how special what you are doing here is. Not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it, but because of whatever reason, Lord, you have chose to bless this place. Thank you, Lord, for so many who have served and given and sacrificed. And Lord, help us to remind them that it's not been in vain. But Lord, what comes next can be even greater if you'll bless it. And Lord, I just ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.